Hello and welcome back to the Couch Chia Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Matt, Wheelin, Dealin, Chamberlain. How you doing, Matt? Ryan? I'm... <laughs> it's been, what, 24 hours now? I'm still, still digesting this trade deadline. Like, I yeah. am just out, out of this world. Just The league does not disappoint. <laughs> Ever. We thought this was going to be a boring trade deadline. And oh my god, I've never gassed up my phone in the last 40 hours as much as I have in the last, like, week. The Woj notifications were on. The Shams notifications were on. And just one after another, whether it was Thursday or, you know, like the day before, and in the case of a couple of these, just like my jaw just permanently hung open. It felt like, you know, like it was like locked jaw. I don't even know what locked jaw is. I've just heard the phrase before. <laughs> just, I, I was just like, what is happening? Like so much unnecessary, like action but it was great it was wonderful this is what we live for um it's exactly what we wanted though right like yeah i mean this was by far i don't remember a more entertaining trade deadline than this with all the like juicy jam- drama uh that happened uh, along with it the james harden trade request that wasn't a trade request <laughs> that was the best part of the whole mm-hmm. thing I'm not the, the non-official trade request. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to look bad. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that was exactly out. it. It was great. Just like, I, I don't want the backlash for a trade request, but I want to be traded. Yeah. And there's the whole Portland bit. The, the Kangs going to do what they do. Dallas coming in like, eh. Let's get in on this. Boston's making some moves. Antonio's tearing it down. And there are some teams that we will get to who did not make a move. Whether they wanted to or not, <laughs> they did not make a move. So, uh, he, wow. Just incredible. There's a, it was a great trade deadline, and that's kind of why we're doing this somewhat emergency podcast. I guess it's post uh, – it's less – emergency now more digestive i guess uh would be the phrase to use there but before we get too much further into it uh let me remind everyone to follow us on twitter and instagram and if you haven't already uh find us on the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating and review there if you missed episode 133 we talked about the karis levert trade and norm powell trade uh norm powell trades um in episode 133 and then we also mentioned some trades we hope to see and i was kind of close on one of my trades matt hey i was feeling pretty good about my uh daniel tice one it just i was trying to be smart for the lakers and it ended up being good for my team (laughs) on basically the same deal just Uh, uh just you know we have good ideas and we're kind of close. So I'd say we we're ready for a front office gig. I can tell you right now, we'd be more competent in the Portland trailblazers front office. Oh my God. Without... I think Eddie, I think Eddie, I think I texted you at one point during the, the 
trade leading up to the trade deadline. It's like the IT guys need to shut off the phones or something. And Portland, because it was getting out of hand. Just um, run down to the basement and just turn the power off. Like, just pull, pull everything. Pull every cord. Uh, so let's just get into it, Matt. We're here. Let's get into it. Let's talk about some trades. Do you um, want to start with like the Tory Craig deal? Like where, where are we going with this? Let's do the big one. Let's do the big one first, because I, right. I have some thoughts. So... We'll start just like every other NBA podcast in America. We're going to start with the James Harden um, deal that sent the beard along with Paul Millsap to Philly for Ben Simmons, uh, Doc Rivers' son-in-law, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks, a, a pick in this draft, and then a pick in 2027 that is protected. Okay, Ryan, you, you teed this one up. Get off your chest, whatever it is you need to say right now. I want to clear my throat for this. The Philadelphia 76ers are no closer to winning a championship than they were before making this trade. God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going for it. Okay, all right, okay. So let me expand on this, right? James Harden. Uh, is on a different kind of grind than the rest of the NBA players. He's on the nightclub <laughs> grind. Uh, if you catch oh, my drift. He tweets like the, hey, did anyone know any good strip clubs in blank? Every time James Harden moves now, like, will never not be funny to me. It's for a friend. Like, it's, it's just all hilarious. Like, I don't care how many times I see it. Like, it's just always funny. Uh, I, I, and, I, I mean, like joking aside, like this guy is what 31, 32, and he's already opted to his player option for next season, which is fine. It's $47 million. Uh, yeah. And I think what we're going to see is a team that did not fill the holes that needed to fill. Like, take the names out of it, right, Matt? We talked about this before the podcast. Take J- the name James Harden out of this trade. The Philadelphia 76ers needed someone who could bring some zip to their offense, could defend on the perimeter, could do a little rebounding, uh, could help with the rebounding, shoot, create shots. Um, is James Harden that player? Kind of. But it doesn't, that he certainly doesn't fill all of those holes. He doesn't bring very much zip to this offense. Uh, at least I don't think he does anymore. May- I mean, maybe he shows up to Philadelphia and both hamstrings are great. You know, they've never been better. <laughs> but I just, I don't, I don't see an outcome where the 76ers team is better than Milwaukee, is better than Miami. And heck, like a fully healthy Brooklyn team still might be better than the 76ers. That's the bugaboo here. And before we get there, I want to focus a little more on what Philly actually has to work with here before he goes to comparing them. Let's just get on the same page. So Philly now is probably starting some sort of lineup that's going to be like Maxi, Harden, Thibel, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Right? Like that's, right. I would say, pretty set in stone who they're going to start. I mean, maybe Danny Green, but 
I feel like Thibault defensively is probably a little better fit there. And then their bench guys would be like Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, Danny Green, I guess George Niang and Paul Millsap. I guess that's probably about it. I Not very deep. Definitely very reliant on the top five and hoping for just spot minutes from like Danny Green, Paul Millsap. Um, Korkmaz when it comes to playoff time but I mean it's pretty hard to knock the talent acquisition in that starting lineup that right. Daryl Moore has achieved right? right that's ultimately like what he bets on is guys on big money contracts and guys on very low money contracts and he just thinks like that's what you do to build a championship team and let's be honest it's kind of worked like in Houston, I mean, it it worked. Didn't win a championship, but it worked. I mean, just ran into the buzzsaw. That is the prime Golden State Warriors, but is what it is. You and know, then, and Manu Ginobili on his way to retirement. But we'll, you know, that's neither here nor, nor there. Um, and then now in Philly, I mean, I think – Philly feels better about their chances. While, while you may disagree, Philly feels better about their chances to win championship this year for no other reason than Ben Simmons was no better for the Sixers than you and I were this year. And now they have someone who does, you know, play basketball. So sure. I, I think like that aspect is what I've heard a lot from the Philadelphians um, making the podcast rounds um, and everything is we took a guy who wasn't playing and now we have a guy who is playing and therefore it, it is a positive trade. Sure. That, that, that's not at all, obviously looking at the long-term ramifications right. of this and Harden potential extension and what is Ben Simmons going to be in Brooklyn and the whole bit. And like, I get it like fans and you know people close to that team, like, you're going to have blinders on like in that regard. Cool. Pretty much everyone does. I have them. Same thing with Boston. You do with Oklahoma city, like just is what it is, you know, but I, I can't necessarily knock Daryl Morey for doing what he said he was going to do. I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but he did what he said he was going to do. So, right. Right. Yeah. I mean like the talent, logistically it makes sense. Like, you know, you're essentially turning Seth Curry into James Harden effectively for what this Philadelphia 76er team is. Right. To your point. Um, But like everyone's saying like the pick and roll with Joel Embiid and James Harden is going to be so great. I've watched James Harden this year. It's not like he's 2017, 2016 James Harden. This is, I mean, he's miles past that now. He's hard. He has a hard time getting around dudes. And I would just caution anybody who gets overly excited about this deal. Just like in a couple months, what is this team going to look like? I, all that said, like James Harden could show up to Philadelphia and look awesome. You know, he could drop 40 point games. He could look like the former James Harden. You just haven't seen it this year. Well, and going back to the pick and roll comment, you talked about James Harden within that. 
can we also kind of talk about Joel Embiid within that though? Ain't a lot of rolling. There. That's that's, that's the other thing. Joel's like favorite thing to do is face up and post yeah. up. James Harden hated that about Dwight Howard. Granted, yeah. Dwight Howard's a totally different type of player than Joel Embiid, but like the last time we saw this with James Harden, it didn't really work. And like Joel, this is Joel's Embiid's team, right? Like yeah. this is from start from top to bottom, this is his team. And if James doesn't kind of get with that, it can kind of get messy, right? Yeah. The idea of just get get superstars and figure it out is what most teams though are going to prefer. And they're like just gonna trust if we feel like we have a good coach and Philly for you know, all intents and purposes, feel like they have a good coach with Doc Rivers, just says like schematically we'll figure it out. Spacing wise, we'll figure it out. And that is like it's completely logical. It makes sense. Like, will it probably happen? Yes. But understand like how hard it is to win an NBA championship. Yeah. Right. So where like this team still has significant deficiencies that like you mentioned at the top, James Harden doesn't fix. And you're just betting on what James Harden and Joel Embiid can do will overcompensate for those things. We talked about this off air, Ryan. You know what player would have been perfect in Philly? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons with a jump shot. That player <laughs> right. would have been perfect for right. Philly. And there was no getting that. Like Philly fans, for the most part, just seemed like they'd all moved on. Like he wasn't coming back a whole bit. But rebounding, James Harden ain't helping it. Like he, he might get 10 just for the sake of the triple double, but he ain't doing any impactful rebounding for you. Passing. I mean, let's be honest. We've all figured out the James Harden passing is not the same as like Chris Paul passing. Like mm. those are two different things in the NBA, right? And he is very much his, you know, way of doing it. Ball movement, like Philly needs ball movement. That ain't James Harden. Thus, the previous comment also. <laughs> Individual perimeter defense. That That's not it. Not yeah. it. No. Backside rotational defense behind Joel Embiid? <laughs> Not it. His backside ain't rotating. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, it, and I mean, shooting, he does, like, don't get me wrong, he's going to get to the free throw line. He's figured yep. out, you know, current refs, how to figure it out still, get to the line. He's still going to hit plenty of his, you know, step back jump shots. But, now, and not to say like, this is the biggest deal in the world, but guys who have been successful with the ball in their hands, either specifically to this year and like Tyrese Maxey or generally in their career with Tobias Harris, those guys are going to be relocated in terms of their role to catch and shoot guys, right? Yep. Like they're going to be PJ Tucker. They're, they're going to become just that type of guy because that's the type of guy James Harden wants around him. And when he has the ball so much, like that's just what you have to like be okay with because you don't have the ball in your hand otherwise to make a different decision. And like if we're going to be really honest, like you're paying Tobias Harris like way too much money and the strength of his game is giving him the ball 
and you know just he's like he's almost like a big man that you just have to give like a post touch to every now and again to keep him happy right except you have to do it like three times a quarter you know mm. instead of once a quarter and tobias like there's just no way to get him easy buckets like to be honest right and i just really wonder if his opportunities within a james harden offense are going to end up just being like catch and shoot corner three type shots in which pace he's he's just not a great catch and shoot three point guy he just he can do it you know he's fine but he he's going to want to put the ball on the floor and then james right. Harden's going to get all mad because he's like you ruined my assist <laughs> and like where are you going you right. know tyrese maxi like that jump shot ain't the best it really ain't the the best part of his game is you know the his speed of going downhill and while the spacing on the floor theoretically gives him that room with james harden i i mean if he doesn't have the ball in his hand to ever do that though besides like hey three seconds left in the shot clock he harden just kicked it out to you like maxi now like i could see his efficiency going way down you know i'm just not entirely certain that playing the James Harden style of offense is what's best for all the other players on the Sixers. I think is what mm. I'm getting. Mm. And it's going to come back to your point that you made. This is Joel's team. James Harden needs to fit into what this team has started, amplify the things he's good at within that offense and then try to find the areas that Philly struggles and do what he can to make those marginally better. Doing that might be enough to actually make this work in terms of a championship, but James Harden playing James Harden basketball and telling Joel to fall in line. We, it ain't going to work. Right. It, it might've worked five years ago, but you made the point this James Harden today, James Harden, ain't it like to make that work? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I could be wrong. Like I could be totally wrong and Joel and James get along really great. I don't, are we, I, from what I've seen of past champions, everyone has to be on the exact same page for two months and do you have a hundred percent confidence that everyone in that Philadelphia locker room could get on the exact same page for two months? No. My answer is no. no, because I saw what Milwaukee had to go through, right? Like they had to go through some tough stretches where last year, where they didn't look like they were going to win. And somehow they stuck together and won because they had one focus and that was winning a championship. I don't know if that's going to be the case in Philadelphia. I don't know if that will ever be the case in Philadelphia with James Harden and Joel Embiid. And all of this is premature, right? We haven't even seen them take the court together. But knowing James Harden's past and knowing the drive and hunger that Embiid has to win a championship, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it meshing well together. I think I agree. And we've talked about when uh doing the whole Ben Simmons Joel Embiid pairing conversation like we both 
came to the conclusion like what two or three years ago now saying yep. take joel like bet on his mindset bet on like how he's just gonna figure it out james harden isn't that type of guy like we can talk about like anthony davis and other dudes who like are kind of like this like they're very talented like they're great at what they do but somewhere up above the neck it just it's not exactly what you want or need to win a championship you know right right yeah and that's i guess that's my overall point is that you have to be so mentally locked in on this one thing all year and get on the same page and i just don't know i just don't know if that's going to happen in philadelphia now with brooklyn oh oh my (laughs) there's there's now this whole bit with ben simmons like apparently he's like all thrilled about going to brooklyn and he might be playing for them really soon and you know there's an the idea of ben simmons feels like it should work with the talent base that's already in brooklyn Mm. but ryan I'm not convinced this one isn't going to be an abject, like just disaster either, you know? Yeah. I think the like fit, it's kind of like on, on the other end for Philadelphia, the fit on paper basketball wise makes sense. Like Ben Simmons next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like it, it makes a lot of sense. Like Ben theoretically can be the Draymond green for them. Right. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to score. He's he's never going to be asked to score in that way. He's not going to really be asked to shoot. All he has to do is he can set screens. Like that's something we never saw him really be able to do in Philadelphia. He can set screens, roll to the basket, pass the ball, facilitate, um, and do all the things that he wants to do, defend the best player on the other team. And that takes a burden off of Kevin Durant. But – I just don't know with some of the stuff we've seen with Ben in the last 12, 12 to 18 months. And I'm not even talking about mental health stuff. I don't want to go there just on the floor basketball stuff. I don't, I mean, they need a player who can save their season right now. They're on a 10 game straight skid right now. And is Ben Simmons ready to lace up and do that tomorrow? I don't know. It doesn't seem like that. I mean, if you were, if it's a, if his first game is at home right now, it's without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Durant, can he lead Blake Griffin and Patty Mills to win? Doesn't sound awesome. Doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't sound great. Um, I just an aside, this is just festering in my brain all day. Do you think Ben Simmons will have a higher respect for what Steve Nash asked him to do in comparison to what Brett Brown, Doc Rivers, and whoever else was kind of in charge in Philly over the last several years in the management side ever asked him to do like there? Maybe. Like like this team like rescued you from Philly. You're playing with Steve Nash now, who Ben Simmons probably watched growing up, right? right? 
like stylistically, like as a passer, does a lot like similar to what Nash did. Like I'm not the exact same player, but like just this extreme like vision ball movement, like get the ball to like the best, you know, player or best option for the team in that moment. Like Simmons can really do that. And that's obviously how Nash, you know, operated. I just I wonder if there can be a different dynamic here that really even partially gets through to him, if not completely gets through to him. Yeah, you know? I, I I think you're right. I think there could be new voices, new new setting. You know, sometimes we talk about how a player just needs a new new spot, and this has been Simmons' chance, right? Like this is his chance to get that. And I think I think you're right. I think if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be Steve Nash to get through to him. Um, and if it's not, then. Ben Simmons not that guy. Yeah, like it's like the permanent in Sharpie, right? Not not that dude. Not that but dude. Talking back about the actual basketball fit again, something. If we're assuming full health, all these guys playing, blah blah blah. Not to get into all of it. Something like Kyrie Irving, Steph or uh, Steph Curry, ha, Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, Nick Claxton, something like that as like a you know, main group of five guys still have like Patty Mills, Bruce Brown, um, James Johnson, Marcus Aldridge. Also brought over Andre Drummond in this deal, the rookie Cam Thomas, Blake Griffin. So you have this kind of just, you know, weird old mix of guys on the bench, but at least you have seven guys also that's not even counting joe harris because he's hurt seven guys that like you know you can give minutes to and feel okay about some more than others but at least a lot of competitors on that bench i i think what we're saying when we transition to this brooklyn bit is i think Brooklyn assuming full health is going to feel great about whatever five man lineup they can basically put on the court at all times, regular mm-hmm. season or postseason. Yeah. And that's something Brooklyn don't, it's like, it should have been that way before. Cause you should have always had one of Kyrie Harden or KD on the court at a time. But even when they were like it, it just never really got there. And maybe that's just, we never really had the chance to see it, right? Like, there's all the stats going around of, like, can you believe we actually only saw, like, X amount of game minutes with all three of these guys at the same time? Which is, like, wild. That, like, they played – like, they basically didn't play together. Like, the greatest what-if in NBA history, essentially. Like, it's what it feels like. Yeah. And so – can Simmons carry this team when Durant's out because he's hurt and Kyrie is, you know, still being a voice for the voiceless? I, probably not tomorrow. But if you told me like a Mills, Curry, Simmons, you know, like Aldridge, Claxton group, plus like some shooting off the bench from like, Cam Thomas and Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond had a couple of good games and whatever. Like, 
I wouldn't be shocked. Like yeah. Ben said, as much as we deservedly have just gone at this guy now for the last several months, like he was an all NBA player for a reason. Like I I was calling for him as like the defensive player of the year, what, two years ago? Yeah. Everyone loved him then. It's right. just he won't, can't, whatever, commit to working on his game. And I think that's just the baffling part for people is like, how do you just not want to get better at your job? Right. You play basketball. I guess the good thing for Ben Simmons coming in basically off the street right now, hey, the two things that are usually like the most rusty are like when you haven't played basketball in a while, shooting and conditioning. He ain't got to worry about one of them. So, <laughs> oh like, my gosh. And Matt off the top. Positive, you know, like, hey, going up and down. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I mean, he's supposedly been working out in Philadelphia getting run in, but. I, well, he's also like 6'10", 240 with like a just ridiculously sculpted body. Like, right. I don't think the condition can be too big of a concern no matter what. Right. He's not James Harden uh, who's yeah. getting uh, shedding the fat suit every offseason. But um, <laughs> anyways, any more to add to this just monster of a deal that came kind of out of nowhere on Thursday? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I still can't figure out who I think won the trade. Not that there has to be like a winner and loser of every trade. I still can't figure it out. You could tell me James Harden helps him win a championship this year. You could tell me James Harden, this massive amount of money and the future commitment to him financially is going to cripple the, like, the organization. And I could believe either one. I could believe both. Both might happen. You could tell me Ben Simmons becomes like the idealized version of Ben Simmons and all that in Brooklyn. And they go on to win a championship and I could believe it. Or you could tell me he unfortunately reverts back to what happened in the Atlanta series and he never recovers and it's just kind of a waste of money. And I could believe that also. Like, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. And you could give me this exact same points, however many times, however many different ways. I don't, to me, this is just going to be one of those. I'm not going to have an opinion on who won the trade for like four years. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have to look back at this in like two years and see like, okay, who actually won this? And I'm going to do the Daryl Morey holdout until I get what I want. Um, for four years. Um, and that's to make my decision then. Um, and just a quick aside, the Nets waived DeAndre Bembry to make room for the three guys came in, coming in, considering they only sent out two guys in the deal. Um, not sure why they waived Bembry, but whatever. Um, let's move on. So, all right. This one wasn't from deadline day, but um, definitely had me reeling a little bit. Uh, so let's talk on the CJ McCollum trade. Okay. Um, he is going and has even since made his debut to New Orleans along with Larry Nance and Tony Snell. In exchange, um, the Pelicans are sending out Josh Hart, Tomas Sadaransky, Didi Luzada, Nikhil Alexander Walker, a quote unquote protected 22. 22- 
first round pick, it's almost certain to convey, but let's just say it's protected. And two future seconds in this deal. Now, there was an extra stuff that happened, I guess, off of this deal, or I guess it's technically like an actually massive team deal um, because Alexander Walker ended up not staying with Portland. He then got traded to Utah um, along with Juancho Hernan Gomez from the Spurs and Sadoransky and a second round pick ended up going to the Spurs and somehow Portland ended up with Joe Ingles. I'm wondering if Portland got a little confused, like, you know, the Brooks Brooks thing, like, wait, who are we getting? Like, I'm almost wondering if that's what happened here. Cause Joe Ingles, Elijah Hughes and the second round pick went to Portland. Like the hell I'm, um, I don't know what to do with this trade. I don't, I don't, I mean, uh, first of all, let's talk about new Orleans, I guess. Yeah, sure. Sure. You trade for CJ McCollum. Good player, right? Yeah. Um, is this like the biggest trade for a GM who's not trying to lose his job? Cause oh. it, it feels like this is the most like panicked. I'm not, I, I don't want to lose my job because we've changed three coaches in three years. Apparently that's not the problem type of deal that I've seen in a long time. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, not that David Griffin's great, obviously. And, I mean, not that anyone could have really seen the Zion thing coming the way it's developed. But, I mean, in New Orleans, like, obviously, they just – they don't get anyone to ever sign there. Like, there's not a great way to acquire talent there. Free agents, um, right. Yeah, aside from the draft and trading Anthony Davis, like – there's no real other way for you to acquire talent. So the fact that they kind of honestly gave up like a cup of gumbo and some alligator bites to get CJ McCollum is pretty impressive to me. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, they didn't have to really do, much. do this deal a hundred times out of a hundred. Right. Like Josh Hart, like you hate losing Josh Hart. He's a good player. Love Josh Hart. Yeah. Thomas Sandoransky, like you got him in like the the Lonzo Ball transaction, yeah. right? Nikhil Alexander Walker, like yeah. I hate giving him up, but like ultimately, is he going to be in your closing lineups? Probably not. So no. like, no. all of that's fine, right? Like, and you give up your first round pick this year. Um, whatever, whatever. Could be a good pick, but it's lottery protected. So there's that. Um, I I mean, like, it's a fine deal. I don't know if it moves the needle much. Like, CJ McCollum plus Brandon Ingram plus what you hopefully is Zion at some point. Like, is that any better than what they had a couple seasons ago with True Holiday, Brandon Ingram, and Zion? Probably not, but I don't know. That's the thing. It's like New Orleans, it's like they constantly like make moves and then are having to backtrack on moves like four months later, you know? Yeah. It's almost like, can you not just get it right the first time? Um, Their answer is always no. (laughs) Um, But I mean, 
in theory, this this sounds really cool. It, I don't think this is a good playoff team if it's even a playoff team. But I mean, play-in team, like, I guess we're just going to let New Orleans and Sacramento, like, just battle out for the play-in. Like, right. I don't... New Orleans is such a depressing franchise, to be honest. <laughs> like, I guess I just, I want to be happy for them. Like, right. Like, you got CJ McCollum, like, clearly the Portland thing had run its course, like, whatever. I, I, I you know, I'll try and be nice, like, oh, they got Herb Jones, like, Ingram's coming around, you know. Trey but, Murphy, we kind of like Trey Murphy. I, I like Trey Murphy a lot, yeah. Jose Alvarado's been a really fun little story. I just... You're right. This probably doesn't really move the needle for them, but in the you know working space that is Zion Williamson, it's going to come back at some point. May not be this year, but he's going to come back at some point. Like an idea of CJ Brandon Ingram and Zion like works. Mm, Yeah, right. It's just they need to be insulated in the correct way with the rest of the starters and bench players that guys like Herb Jones do fit with or Alvarado, even though in limited minutes, like would fit with, or, you know, Larry Nance, like that's in theory, a really good idea. Um, It's just, I I just feel like I'm not hopeful that conceptually New Orleans will ever come together the way we all want it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just thinking through this, like, okay, so you have Larry Nance, who's like a 3-4, right? You have Herb Jones, who's like a wing. You have Trey Murphy, who's a wing. Jackson Hayes has been playing his best basketball at the four. You have Zion Williamson, who's kind of a 4-5. So, like, how are you divvying up those minutes? Like, this is not just, like, one of those guys is going to have to get moved eventually, right? Like... You're basically, and you have Jonas Valanciunas, who's the locked five. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's not even talking about Brandy Ingram, who's like yeah. a three four, three four. Yeah, I mean Ingram can play some two, like he really can play some two. McCollum can play some one. I think Herb Jones has shown like he can handle his own at the three. You sure. know, and then. Nance probably better to me as a four or five than a three four, but like whatever. Jonas, you're right, five. Zion, four, four and a half. Can't really be a five because he can't protect the rim. Yeah. Hayes, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know why Jackson Hayes is still on this roster. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I think they do need like a lob type big i just don't i'm just kind of over jackson hayes but mm. whatever um i mean i feel like you can figure it out like the minutes and everything it goes back to though like i guess if you're trying to make it work offensively like the spacing aspect of it around zion when he does return defensively i'm very worried about that group mm. Or if you try and take care of defensively, like we got to insulate Zion, then I'm just very worried about the spacing for him on offense. 
Right. And maybe that's just the approach that they need to go down is like, let's take care of the defense because offensively, like Zion, he doesn't need a lot of space. He's just going to bully you anyway. So, mm-hmm. like, screw it. And CJ and Brandon Ingram will be the only two guys that shoot jump shots. Like, I, maybe that works. But I, I just don't trust the Pelicans to figure it out. So, yeah. And part of this is also, I just, and like so many others, I just don't trust Zion to figure it out, like in the next like year. I'm not saying long term, but like, yeah, like, can can we get like a picture of him? Like, like where's TMZ? Like, he's in Portland, hanging out, someone working out. He's not even with the team. That's the thing. It's not even like he's like, oh, he's a week away. No, he's like month away. David Griffin, like, legitimately said, like, anecdotally, like, he's making some progress, and you're like, oh, you don't actually know, and he's like, no. Like literally said that the other day. Like, oh, but don't worry, he was he's gonna be ready for the start of the season. Oh, wait, we're sixty games in. Holy crap! Yeah, this is ridiculously bad. Um, there, this is in New Orleans, so it doesn't get a lot of pub. But like anywhere else, like everyone else would be having a panic attack right now. Yeah, like New York. Yeah. For sure. Let's talk about Portland some. I kind of just want to yeah. talk about Portland here for a second. Uh, right. What's happening? And what? Who's on the roster? This is this is about the wonkiest thing to me at the trade deadline. And like the Kings made multiple trades at the trade deadline, and this might be the wonkiest thing to me. So. We mentioned last pod the whole Norm Powell, Robert Covington um, bit where they got traded for basically nothing um, to the Clippers. Now they trade one of their franchise cornerstones in CJ McCollum. I mean, can like let's they got back Josh Hart and a first round pick. That's all they got back for him because. Uh, Sadaransky and AW got shipped off. Who cares about the second round picks, to be honest? Right. Um, Lou Bada doesn't play. Like, he's a second round pick guy, doesn't play at all. Not going, like, shouldn't. Um, Joe Ingles out for the year. Elijah Hughes, second round pick the other year from a, or last year from Utah. Like, they literally got Josh Hart in a first round pick for CJ McCollum. That's, in cap space. Cap space. Our best friend, cap space. It's worked out so well for Portland. I mean, like ducking the tax. I guess that's what you got this year. Ducking the tax and uh, cap space, they're going to fill with Evan Turner like contracts. For the GM to come out and just so blatantly lie and say like we're retooling around Dame. We're not like rebuilding this franchise is such garbage. Because yeah, you are. Like yeah. yeah, no, you're tearing this thing down. Like there's nothing left. Like why why is Nurkic on this team? Like let's just be honest. You couldn't have got something for him at this point. Like I don't know. They probably would have settled for like you know like a second round pick swap at this point for use of Nurkic, but like you 
what are we doing here? Like, you're not like, does this guy, whoever, whatever the front office people are right now, we talked about how hard it is to win a championship. Do you understand how hard it is to build an NBA team when you're not in a premier market? Like, let's be honest. If Dame could like legitimately recruit a guy to Portland, he would have done it by now. Right. Like, Instead, all we've done is lose Lamarcus Aldridge and lose CJ McCollum. Like after drafting them and hanging on them for for too long, for basically lost them for nothing. Right. That's all. That's right. all that's ever happened in Portland. Like getting Carmelo Anthony, that doesn't count. <laughs> he was out of the league, and you needed yeah. him. Yeah. Like. You had the chance to trade for Jokic or Nurkic, and you traded for your Nurkic. Like, <laughs> just yeah. always like one off, right? Just like barely, not able to get it done. And in Portland, Waste, like, yeah, you're wasting Dame's career. Like, you're wasting. I, I mean, maybe that's too harsh, but no, it's you're not. wasting the prime of a superstar. And you made one Western Conference Finals, zero Finals appearances. That's it. Like that's it. You wasted Dame's time when you refuse to play anybody besides like, you know, Alfred Gamino and Mo Harkless. You wasted his prime with no bench ever. Mm. Like never had like someone really like, Dame, come off the floor. We got you for 10 minutes. Like nothing. It was like CJ and dudes from the local Y. <laughs> like, like I like Nurkic. You never really gave him like a big man to work with, like to be honest. Like Nurkic is good; he's not mm. great. He's good. You never really gave him a big man who could like be a guy for them, though. Yeah, well, Nurkic never empowered that way. Maybe that's a different way of phrasing it and putting it. You held on to Terry Stotts for way too long, like just way too long. Like I think he's a decent coach, but when it's not working, it's not working. Right. You never drafted. Right. Never drafted well. Like when you had Dame. And obviously, like we just talked about the free agency bit. Like it's hard to be a free agent destination when you're Portland. It's hard to get guys to come there. And when you, you do get guys, like you have to make it like financially like viable and worth it. And you mentioned the Evan Turner deal, for example, just screwed it up time after time. Alan Crabb. Mm. could never figure it out it's like you did everything wrong mm. you drafted Damon CJ and after that you did everything wrong I think that goes to show the greatness of those two players but also like the ineptitude of this franchise of the last several years and why if they think legitimately think they're retooling that just the ineptitude is continuing it's mm. just a different face now so good. Freaking got him, Matt. Freaking went in on Portland. Um, I'm ready to go in on the Kings, too. All right. <laughs> Let's just do it. All right. The, the Kangs. Uh, <laughs> so they made a couple moves, like previously mentioned. Um, so the big couple days before the deadline move was, we're going to go get Demonis Sabonis. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, 
and a future second round pick. And they're going to send out the apparently untouchable, not untouchable, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. So without getting to like the next deal, Ryan, apparently you just hate this. Why? Why? I don't understand. You're tr- you're trying to make the plan, and you sacrifice your future to make the plan this year. Like, let's recap this. You could have Tyrese Halliburton for the next seven years, or Sabonis for the next two, and you chose Sabonis for the next two to make the plan and get bounced by the Phoenix Suns. Have yourself a fantastic season. You're done. You're done. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do the rest of the season, it the you could be the best story in the NBA. It doesn't matter. You're not going to make it past the first round of the playoffs. And I know that's like a victory lap for the Kings because they haven't made the playoffs in so long. Well, guess what? What if the Lakers decide, like, what if LeBron flips the switch? What if the what if Pelicans somehow get Zion back? Are you making the play-in still? No. So you might not even make the play-in. To sacrifice, you've sacrificed your future to might not even make the plan. So you're saying you wouldn't have done a Josh Giddy for Demonis Sabonis trade? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Get that garbage out of here. I wouldn't do. I mean, Sabonis is a good player. I get it. He's an All Star, two time All Star. Like, give the man his respect, right? That's what we're talking about. But a great first game for the Kings. But. Like, why, if you're the Kings, like, why wouldn't you try to trade Buddy Heald and, like, De'Aaron Fox? Like, or why wouldn't you? I just don't think this is the best deal you could have gotten for Tyrese Halbert. That that part I do agree with. Because, like, that's what all, like, the reports and whatnot were saying is, like, a lot of teams are, like, we were told Halbert was not, like, even a open to discussion, right? Right. And it's like a Sabonis level player basically was the deal. Like, mm. And it's kind of like Sabonis, like, again, he's good. Like, he is. He also, like, didn't make the all-star team this year and, like, didn't deserve it. Like, right. you know? Like, that's kind of like the fringe low-ish end all-star level player is effectively what got Tyrese Halliburton. Mm. That's pretty ridiculous. Like, and not to make Tyrese Halliburton out to be like Chris Paul, you know? Like, I think that happened a little too much on social media the other day. Sure. Um, Killing the Kings, like, oh my god, you just traded the next greatest point guard ever. Like, no. Like, trust me, you did not. But just the idea of one you don't need to be trading for bigs like as much as i like bonus a big who can't play defense let alone anchor defense is so hard to make work in the nba right and to be paying him you know a massive contract Knowing if you want to keep him long term, you're going to have to pay him an even more ridiculously massive contract because he has all the leverage now. Mm. 
and giving up a player who who plays a position that is just more valuable for the next decade, like you mentioned, eight years, whatever, on a good deal, like a team friendly deal, and like the extension isn't going to be like ridiculous either. Like it's not going to be as bad as the bonus ones going to be. It is very puzzling then to try and justify the Kings. Like, mm. again, Sabonis might work out. He might be an all star for the Kings for the next two years, right? And, right. like, it's like, oh, cool. And maybe they play in, or maybe they just make the eight seed or whatever. I think the expectations in Sacramento are just so low at this point that when you're when your target is mediocrity, like it's just so easy to fall below that. And so their target is, I mean, the lowest possible thing that could be considered playoffs. So that's why they fall short of it so often. And this was their attempt to like ever so slightly raise their bar. So maybe if they miss their goal, they can still make the play in, you know? Which I'm not saying like I agree with. I'm just saying like I'm trying to understand. Like you couldn't do a Fox and Heal deal because that's just like the combined money, like which is just gonna be too much. Yeah. Like, right. Not anywhere. Unless it was like Heald was going one place and Fox was going another place. But like could could you really not have done like Heald and Davion Mitchell? Or right. Who was also a top 10 pick, right? Yeah. Like, he was, like, 10. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. Like, but you couldn't, like, Tyrese Halliburton was, like, the low-level salary package with Buddy Heald for a guy. Like, I would have rather kept Halliburton, sent Davion Mitchell out in the deal, and got a slightly lesser player than Sabonis. Mm. Like, personally. You know? I don't know who that guy is off the top of my head. But that's more so what I would have been aiming for is either if you're or one, I also would have been trying to trade Fox separately. But mm. if you're in Fox, let's go Fox, Halliburton, you know, Barnes, whatever other guy is, and Holmes, and like see if that's what we can do. Moving like, and then your bench pieces and whoever. Like, I guess that's probably more so where I would have been aiming, right. I just, it's hard for me to knock the Kings because they got the best player in the trade today. I just don't know if it's the right move long term. And we didn't talk about this quite as much with like the Harden deal, but it's kind of the same question or same point of like you're giving up the guy who's on massive team control for a guy that, while he's a better player today, might leave tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, like, what – I just – I mean, I get the move, like, you go all in. And we had talked about the Kings previously on different podcasts. But I don't – I don't know. I don't know. I like Tyrese Halliburton. He dropped 38 the other night in Philadelphia. I haven't seen Sabonis do that. Especially with like the roster that was around Tyrese that night. Yeah. I think Indiana made out like bandits on this trade. Um, they get a player now long term who 
normally you don't get free agents in Indiana. Um, and you kind of get to, I mean, you get to keep some stuff here. Like you get to keep um, <clears throat> Miles Turner, right? Like a good center. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still have Chris Duarte. Still have Chris Malcolm Duarte. Yeah. TJ Warren. Like you still have some guys here. I don't know, like if that equates to. You're probably going to get a top pick this year too because you're not very good right yeah. now. Like so injuries and everything. Yeah. You add another player to that mix, and then next year maybe you're looking at a play-in race. You know, but oh, yeah. um. Yeah, we can talk about the rest of the trade really quick. That kind of went folded into this one. Yeah. So the Kings also went and got Dante DiVincenzo um, from Milwaukee, which I thought was really smart for the sake of just getting more shooting to go around Sabonis. Um, we'll talk about the Kings roster now um, in a minute, but they also got Trey Lyles from Detroit, Josh Jackson from Detroit, um, the Bucks. Well, they gave up DiVincenzo and a couple mm. other things. They did get Serge Ibaka from the Clippers, along with two future second-round picks. The Clippers took back Rodney Hood and Shimmy Ojale. Shout out ducking the tax as much as you can. Saved like $30 million or something ridiculous in tax money. Um, and the Pistons, again, they gave up Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson in this deal. Got Marvin Bagley the third from the Kings, the third overall pick in 2019. If anybody's or is 20, was it 2019, 2018? I don't know, whatever. The third overall pick, former full third overall pick. Second overall pick? I thought, was he second? I think he's second. Was he second? Yeah, I think so. Oh, god, so bad. Anyway, that's, that's bad. So, this one, although, does. Well, again, it's correcting the Marvin Bagley mistake. This one kind of made out well for the Kings. They gave up Marvin Bagley, and they got DiVincenzo, Lyles, and Jackson. Like, I think they also gave up, like, a second-round pick. That's pretty good on the Kings, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Their roster, again, idea now would be something along the lines of, like, Fox, DiVincenzo, Barnes, Sabonis, Holmes, and then off the bench, some grouping of like Davion Mitchell, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, who is unvaccinated, so he'll have to miss some games. But um, whatever there, you have Lyles, Chimezi Metu, Josh Jackson. Like you have not a good bench, but not the worst bench in yeah. NBA. Like you have at least some guys who aren't afraid to shoot, but. You know, like the Kings, like they have guys that like like, they have 12 guys now that belong on an NBA roster. Right. They have five guys now that maybe only one of them is a high end starter in the NBA. Mm. They have five starters like at like NBA level starters to start on their team. Right. I think that's a win for the Kings. Like overall, if they think it's good enough to make the play in playoffs, whatever, like that's kind of a separate conversation, but like there's at least something to build off of here. Now. I, I think some more clarity 
with the Fox Mitchell Halliburton thing on like who's the guy here moving forward. And then like we have an established front court player now in Sabonis. Again, might disagree with the move or saying this guy isn't good enough to be that role, but at least it's like defined roles and like clear, like we're going with this guy and this guy and that guy, mm. you know? Right. It's like direction is not something that Kings have really uh, used <laughs> much of recently. The, the compass has been broken um, there for a while, but so, I mean, it's something like it's something to work with. Now we'll also quick mention. So the Bucks said they got Serge Ibaka, gave up basically nothing to get him. So thought that was, you know, I mean, I'm I guess smart. I, guess. I don't know. I feel I don't like giving up DiVincenzo for a bucket, but I guess we can get into it here. Yeah, I guess if you feel like you have Connaughton and Grayson Allen, like other short-ish white guys that shoot and stuff, like yeah, right. It's like in a vacuum, I don't love it either. Yeah, but you know, if you kind of feel like he was a roster redundancy, Brooke Lopez, let's be honest, is probably really hurt. Like. That's probably my biggest takeaway from this. Like he's really hurt. Right. I I guess like you just felt like like we have enough guards to make do without him. So yeah. you know, for again, the sake of I'm trying to win today, I I get it. I'm trying mm. to win a championship. The Kings, it's I'm trying to make the playoffs or the play in. The Bucks, it's like I'm trying to win a championship. Right. You know, like I, we talk about it all the time. Like you don't know how many chances you're going to get at this. And so you got to maximize it. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. it's that four that can kind of space the floor with Giannis. Um, I guess he could be the five, but yeah, I mean, if Serge Ibaka can play like Serge Ibaka did with like the Raptors a couple seasons ago and show like flashes of that, then yeah, this is awesome for the bucks. Yeah and might end up being like this sneaky mid-season move that we all look back on and be like, that was awesome. Okay. So then the, the trade that really just not came out of left field, but man, we just didn't assume we'd get done. The Kristaps Porzingis deal getting sent to the Washington basketball team along with a future second round pick in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie who's been, unfortunately, just a disaster in Washington this year, and Davis Bertans, who has been even more of a disaster for Washington this year. I'm, I'm confused, Ryan. This one really made my brain hurt. So I, I was, one, shocked when I got the notification. I was like, what is going on? Like, Dallas is one of the hottest teams in the NBA in the last month. Like, why are they just all of a sudden dumping one of their superstars? And then I started thinking about it. It was like, oh, yeah, Kristaps hasn't played. He's played, like, what? Less than half the season? Half the season? I'll pull it up. But it's like he he plays a few, misses a few. Plays a few, misses a few. And I think ultimately that's what Dallas was tired of, right? They couldn't just wait on Kristaps Porzingis' health to make a good run with Luka. And at the trade deadline, they broke his contract up effectively into two smaller contracts that they think they can move later, which is smart. 
I, I think I agree with that, right? No one wants – if Chris Tops Porzingis flames out in the playoffs again, no one's going to want that contract, right? But you can always move Spencer Dinwiddie. Davis Bertans' contract is pretty expensive, but I think you can move that later, especially if you're going to attach some sort of asset to it. Um, so I, I, while shocking, I kind of like this trade. <laughs> like, I, I just like the logistics of it. Like, you break up a bad contract into two smaller bad contracts, but if you, if like Spencer Dinwiddie looks good next to Luca, isn't that kind of a plus asset all of a sudden that you can flip? So one, I, I really do think Dinwiddie could work. Like I really do. Um, whereas like, I, I like the idea of him even in Washington, it just hasn't like come together at all. Like him and Beal apparently weren't getting along and like just, how Dinwiddie wanted the team run versus how it was being done. So, like, if Dinwiddie doesn't come in kind of thinking, like, I think this is, like, my team or, like, I need to get some shots up here and understands, like, it's Lucas' team, like, this could definitely work. I think something that we haven't talked about yet with the Porzingis bit of this, though, is not only has Dallas been frustrated with him, He's apparently been very frustrated with Dallas over the last couple of years, like how he is used within the offense, like what their expectations are of him. Because uh, like, he is talented. Like we, we can tell in the games he's played this year, he's played 34 out of the 56 games for Dallas this year. Um, like he, he still has it. Like he hasn't fallen off from a production standpoint, like at all, really. If anything, when I watched him this year, I kind of liked his game more than I had the last couple of years. And that's with the three, not really going in as much as we're used to. It's only going in at a 28% club this year when he's just been throughout his career, 35, 40%, somewhere in that range. So like he was still, you know, putting up 19, eight and two and not shooting as well as we're used to him. And I really thought he was playing some of the better basketball um, of his career when he was in the games. So I think that has to be part of this also is like, he wasn't happy there. They weren't happy with him. Like him leaving isn't what shocks me. It's more so that this is the deal and the timing of it. You know, like, yes, I, I thought Porzingis would be an off season trade, not a mid trade. I thought Porzingis, if you used him as a trade asset in the off season, could probably get you a Dinwiddie type like and a pick or a Dinwiddie, a salary filler and a pick. Whereas you got a Dinwiddie, a salary filler, and that was it. And, and you, you had and you had to include the pick. Yeah, you had to include a future second round pick, which is that anything? Maybe, maybe not. Like, but the point is like it feels like you got 75 cents on the dollar here. Yeah. Now it could work out better for your basketball team than the Porzingis um, transaction acquisition ever did, but it just it didn't feel like from a business perspective that Dallas quite did the right thing here. But again, on the court, it might work if you feel like you can revitalize Bertans and Dinwiddie. Can you know play the role you need them to play? 
And then lastly, I know we were talking about it the other day, he might provide some Jalen Brunson insurance in case he leaves in free agency. Like there, there are a lot of things that make sense about this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think the Jalen Brunson insurance policy is a factor here too. I, I mean, like I get, I guess the idea behind it, but why not just pay Jalen Brunson? Like, you know, yeah. like, or if like you're that afraid of him jetting in free agency, you should have dealt him at the deadline and gotten some real value for him. Um, but I guess that's, that, that's also what, I mean, you got to keep Jalen Brunson through the end of the year because he's been so good and he's going to help your off season run. So mm. I get both sides of it, but it, it's just shocking to me that, I mean, it, we've heard trade rumors of Chris Sops, but nothing around this deadline. So I, it was just shocking to see it, I guess, pop up so so abruptly. Yeah. And Dallas will still have like a good seven-man rotation between, yes. we mentioned Brunson, of course, Luca, Dorian Finney-Smith, who we'll go ahead and note, did get a contract extension with Dallas. Um, Man got paid. Four-year, $55 million. I Come playoffs, you know, maybe a Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, couple minutes here and there. Like, you can scrap together 10 guys if you need 10 guys i probably feel more comfortable with this team um at seven guys hardaway if he was in would make a really solid eighth obviously um he wouldn't be the eighth best guy on that roster but you know what i mean like they would have probably a little more to work with but maybe dallas is just like hey we feel like it's wide open get a guard which we know are the most important things to have at playoff time just someone else who, in case someone's not hitting, that we can put another body in there that can and just, you know, go down swinging with Luca again. Like, I, I get the trade. I, I'm i halfway worried about, like, their big man rotation now. Like, I like Cleaver and Powell. Bertans, you know, like, he's tall, but he's not necessarily a big. Right. I don't think you'll be playing Boban and Chris a lot of minutes. Obviously, Finney Smith can slide down to the four. Come playoff time, I do wonder if they're not going to quite be able to control the rebounding the way that they're going to need to, and certain teams are going to punish them for that, depending on the matchup. But, you know, again, if you put a lot of shooters and guards and everything around Doncic, that's what we've said you need to do. So, theoretically, they did the right thing. Right. Yeah. Who's that team? I mean, like, I think the theoretical Utah matchup would be interesting. Um, yeah, I go the there just, you know, averaging like 18, 20 a game off of lobs and offensive rebounds. Yeah. And, but on the flip side of that, there's not like that perimeter defender for Utah who could kind of lock up Luca. So that, I think that would be the fun, one of the most fun matchups we could yeah. get. That one might uh, just sink the ship in Utah. Um, <laughs> how that's going. But, uh, talking about Washington on the other side of this, I don't want to talk too much about how Porzingis fits there because Beal's already out. And based off of the other moves they made at this deadline, Washington was clearly selling off. Um, they sent Montrez Harrell to Charlotte for Ish Smith, Vernon Carey, who's a um, backup young big who isn't really an NBA player, and a 2023 second-round pick. So I was just kind of a salary dump, to be honest. 
And then Washington also traded Aaron Holiday, backup point guard, to the Phoenix Suns for straight cash. Cash and, considerations. Uh, yes, sir. So Washington just sending out, you know, two rotation borderline starting level players for nothing. So um, Washington's just sending the rest of this year into the tank. Probably play Porzingis a little bit just here and there to get him used to Wes Unseld's system. But other than that, this season's going down the toilet for Washington real fast. They're already sub 500, and they are going to race to the bottom of the standings. Remember when they started out 10-3 and three to start the and season? Yeah, everyone was like, oh, God, Unseld fin- fixed the defense. Like, Brad Beal isn't even playing well. Can you imagine what's going to happen once this all starts actually clicking? And ever since then. Just They've that. won 15 games since then. They're 25 and 29. Jeez. Yeah, not good. 15 and 26 since then. Not That's awesome. Rough. That's yeah. uh, not great. Um, Phoenix made another um, little tertiary move here. We'll go ahead and note it. So they acquired Torrey Craig again um, and Cash uh, from the Indiana Pacers in exchange for the uh, – not option picked up Jalen Smith as a former number 10 overall pick Oops. and a 2022 second round pick. Uh, I mean, Phoenix, you know, what you're getting Tory Craig. You probably just want another wing defender. So sure. Spider-Man meme. Is this the Spider-Man mm-hmm. meme where it comes up and just, you know, Tory Craig in a Phoenix Jersey is pointing at Tory Craig in a Phoenix Jersey. Um, I mean, Jalen Smith, the worst kept secret thing in the NBA about, like the Suns didn't want him. They didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know how to develop him. So he's going to Indiana. He's already playing for him, playing more minutes for Indiana in one game than he did for Phoenix basically all year. Feels like um, getting some shots up. Ooh. So we'll see if that works out. I think for Indiana, like this is exactly what you should do. Take a flyer. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, you're not doing anything otherwise um, besides, you know, whatever the young things you were getting in the Sacramento Sabonis deal. So, yeah, this is a fine move for both sides, I think, like all considering. So, sure. Yeah, the best um, tweet of the day came from Indiana's account where it was like a picture of Cash just sitting in front of a podium saying, welcome to the team, Cash. Wonderful. Uh, so, go on to another uh, move that probably not very significant, um, but noteworthy. Toronto got in on some action here. Yeah. They acquired... Thad Young, who's not doing anything this year. Um, Drew Eubanks, who they've since released, and a 2022 second-round pick from the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for Goran Dragic, who is expected to be bought out, and a 2022 first-round lottery-protected pick. I'm not, I don't understand this for Toronto. Like, I don't really know what you're doing, but okay. Like, whatever, I guess. Like, was this the best price you could get for Dragic? Like, why do you have to attach a pick? Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't even want to get into this. This is stupid. Uh, <laughs> so, San Antonio, in their more noteworthy um, move of the day, was making a move with my Boston Celtics, and Derek White is now going to be wearing the the green and white uh, in exchange. Uh, the Celtics sent Romeo Langford, Josh Richardson, 
their 2022 first round pick that's basically unprotected and a 2028 pick swap top one protected um feels a little rich for Derek white but this boston team i've been raving about this for years is we needed a shakeup like we needed something and if we've ultimately come to the conclusion we're not trading tatum we're not trading brown we're basically seeming not trading robert williams or marcus smart like we had to do something and we did we did something ryan finally i i actually really like this trade i know it's a little rich but like thinking future like ahead could you package like Derek white and marcus smart for something else you know like could you could that be the base of a bigger deal where you're getting another star in boston Um, white and horford or smart and horford right all that you can get to a pretty good uh number for making the money work on trades exactly um it's another mid-tier contract which boston kind of needs um But even on the court fit, like Derek White does some good stuff. Like he does the Spurs thing where he'll move the ball, he'll drive, he'll he'll play hard, he'll play defense. Um, and, and that's what Boston wants, right? Like they need a guy who can kind of just move the ball a little bit, give their offense some juice when it needs some juice when Brown or Tatum um, are either resting or, you know, uh, are just having an off night. And this kind of provides an insurance for Marcus Smart's recent play. Like if he's if Marcus Smart keeps playing at the level that he he is, um, then the Boston Celtics are a very good team. But Derek White kind of provides insurance for actually being a point guard, actually passing the ball some. His shot hasn't fallen this year, but um, I think you can kind of track that up to there's not a lot of good things going on in San Antonio. I think when you're next to playing next to Tatum and Brown, you're going to have more open shots. You're going to have better looks. Um, So I I would be, I I like Derek white. I've watched the Spurs some this year. He, he can get to his spots and I I think he's a fun player that you'll enjoy watching. Yes. He made his Boston debut um, against the nuggets went 28 minutes, 15 points, six rebounds, two assists. Six for 12 from the field, three for seven from three, like Perfect. plus 11 overall for the game. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Sounded about exactly right. Um, I, I really like this move for Boston, if for no other reason than it feels like what you mentioned is we can always have two to three really good perimeter players on the court at a time. And that has not always felt that way um, the last couple of years. It's like, man, if one of Tatum or Brown is off the floor and if Marcus Smart's not having a good game, I don't know who our other good perimeter player is. Now between Smart, Brown, Tatum, and White, it feels like two of those guys can always be on the court. And when you have two high-level or high-quality offensively skilled perimeter players like our offense just isn't going to become as stagnant as it often has and we talked about how Jalen and Jason sometimes not sometimes oftentimes get too iso heavy Mm. I'm not gonna lie I've always wondered a little bit is their mindset a little bit of like 
well, who do you want me to pass the ball to? So, <laughs> Romeo Langford? Um, yeah, okay. So, now Derek White is a much more viable option um, as like a, hey, if his man's helping off or digging in, then that's someone we can trust to kick the ball out to for either the shot or a secondary pick and roll or whatever it is he's trying to get to. So I, I like the idea that he's just another outlet for Brown and Tatum now. If we want to go with a small lineup, we could put out a smart uh, Derek White, Brown, Tatum, and then one of Horford or Williams. Like we could run that lineup too and um, go four offensive creators on the court at a time, all of which are pretty good spot-up shooters as well. So it doesn't really matter who has the ball in their hands running the action. So I like this idea a lot for Boston. So with those six guys, Grant Williams has um, started to really come on this year. You still have a couple young dudes and Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith that now can more focus on development rather than, hey, we need you to play and like produce like legitimately. So they're going to get reps without the pressure, which I think is really important for them. Yes. And then Boston brought in one more guy in a trade that I think is actually really um, useful and important for our team as a backup big. We've also acquired Daniel Tice again. Um, love Daniel Tice. It's Time is a flat direct. circle. <laughs> um, in order to get him, we had to send out Dennis Schroeder. Thanks. Have a good life. Um, Ennis Cancer Freedom, who has since been released and Bruno Fernando to the Houston Rockets. Um, Houston also waived DJ Augustine and Armani Brooks um, to get this deal to work and everything. So Houston doing some just tertiary things, whatever. Very weird that they end up keeping Schroeder. Not really what I want to talk about, though. Uh, for Boston, he's their 10th guy now. So Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams – and then off the bench, Pritchard, White, Neesmith, Grant Williams, Daniel Tice. We don't really have much past that, but it's the first time in a, in a while that I felt like Boston has eight really legitimate NBA like starting caliber players and a couple bench guys. Really, we have seven starting caliber players, and Grant Williams is kind of the eighth, and then Neesmith and Pritchard. But Boston hasn't had seven starters on this roster in a while, and we and we have that now. Yeah, it's a it's a. I mean, Brad Stevens, I think, did a good job here. Consolidated some, made made it very clear what this roster is at this point in time, and that wasn't always the case. Like you were saying, since Gordon Hayward le has left, and even around Gordon Hayward um, when he was in Boston. It was always kind of confusing what this team was, and they, they had some good runs. But, I mean, this team could make the second round of the playoffs, which is a big deal. We didn't think that was going to be the case even um, for this team, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I know Boston's current seating isn't great. But to me, if they can just get a decent first-round matchup, I feel as good as about anybody to get to the second round. Right. Like I know that is pretty loaded this year and like that sucks, but if 
the Boston keeps going on a run the way they have been. I mean, they've been the best team in the NBA for the last 15 games. Um, you look at all the stats and the record and everything like Boston's been killing it lately, granted against lesser competition, but I mean, they're only a half game back at Toronto. They're two games back of Philly. They're three games back in Milwaukee, like three and a half back of the bulls, three and a half back of the Cavs, four and a half back of Miami. Like those are the one through six seeds I just listed off. Like there's no reason why Boston couldn't get to a spot where they all of a sudden are drawing. What's I, if I have to draw somebody, I want to draw Cleveland at this point with the injuries. I'm okay. Drawing Chicago. Yeah. You know, are still a thing. I honest to God, give me Philly. Let's go. Give me Toronto. (laughs) Like I just basically don't want to see Miami or Milwaukee. Yeah, probably right. Brooklyn also, but give me anybody else. Like, let's go. You know, I haven't felt that way about this Boston team all what last two years. So I'm feeling I'm just on, you know, cloud nine right now. Yeah. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how good it would be if this team didn't make the playoffs and now they're like securely in the playoffs. Well, it's because guys on the roster started making some fundamental shifts to their game. And then Brad Stevens complimented that with these moves. Yep. Uh, and Boston attempting to get under luxury tax dumped the Bull Bull and PJ Dozier contracts along with future second round pick and cash to Orlando for future second round pick. PJ Dozier was released by the Magic. Um, Boston might end up getting back over the tax just because they have to have enough guys to fill out their roster with the minimums and stuff, but. To be honest, Boston might just try and squeak out these last, you know, 20-ish games with the guys they've got and see if they can stand under the tax. So I don't mind the, the cost-shaving move here. It doesn't really do anything. So cool, cool. Um, last trade, I guess, worth talking about. I this is just like a paperwork thing. This is a trade. This is just HR paperwork. Um this is Sam Presti improving one of his first round <laughs> draft picks. That's all this is. Uh, the Miami Heat sent Casey Akpala, former um, draft pick out of Stanford, to the Oklahoma City Thunder um, uh, for like a future second round pick. Um, and the pick that Miami owes Oklahoma City in 2023 has been, am- has been amended to a lottery-protected 25 first-round pick um, that will probably end up either conveying that your year or can convey as, like, unprotected in 2026 or something. Akpala then was waived by Oklahoma City. So really, this is just a, hey, let's move this pick around, um, which I like for Oklahoma City, actually. You don't need another young guy coming in next year um, from Miami. So... Also, cool. just increases the chances that something bad could happen in Miami. Like, you know, yeah. just like, giving it a few more years for something to go wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I like this. I mean, I'm kind of sad that Akpala got waived. I, I would mind taking a flyer on him, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Not the biggest <laughs> deal. Um, so there were certain teams that we did not talk about over the course of this podcast, which I think says a lot about the NBA that there really weren't that many teams that we didn't mention um, if even not just minutely. So just running through the list and then we'll talk some more on some of these um, golden state, 
Denver, Minnesota, Chicago, none of them made any moves. Uh, people were wondering if Memphis would kind of shake some things up, just to really go for it this year. They did not. Uh, Atlanta, we just heard the John Collins, Bogdanovich, all that rumblings for forever. Maybe some herder rumors. Nothing ended up coming of it. The Knicks, nada. Um, I think Mark Stein had some really interesting comments uh, after the deadline passed about uh, them and what they were hoping to do and what no one else wanted from them. And then uh, the Los Angeles Lakers did absolutely nothing. Uh, Ryan, I feel like the Knicks and Lakers, maybe the Hawks are the teams to talk about here, but any immediate comments on that? Uh, so in the off season, but it, let's, let's go back, you know, to the summer where the New York Knicks signed all these one, two, three year deals. Right. And we were all told, Oh, those are tradable. You know, they'll be tradable at some point for another big star. Um, no, they're not. Evan nope. Fournier. How many times do we have to do this? Like Evan Fournier <laughs> is not a tradable contract. Like it took, it took, Orlando until he was expiring to trade him. And I, I just. And got nothing really for him from Boston either. Yeah. And I, I don't understand this line of thinking where we're going to use our cap space to sign these guys. It just hasn't worked in New York. Like, I don't know. Like Alec Burks had a nice playoffs. Hasn't played great this year. No one wants him. Like who wants to take on Alec Burks? Well, money? I think some teams would be like, yeah, we'll take Alec Burks. We'll give you like a second round pick. Right. And it's like, no, we want a first. It's like, okay. Or we want this player. It's like, all right, kick rocks, you know, like get out of yeah. here. Um, it, I just like eventually. Yeah. If Damian Lillard asks out of Portland, sure. You can throw Evan Fournier, Alec Burks and Julius Randall and all those contracts together. Um, and all your picks, and you could probably be in the conversation with Damian Lillard because there's only a few teams with cap space and a few teams with uh, the ability to go get a player like that. But then you're, like, gutting your team. Like, he, he's just going to be playing with R.J. Barrett. How is that better than what he's got in Portland? Like, what New York has done over the last couple of years has kind of boxed them in a situation with Julius Randle. And he's not even playing that well. Uh, as of late, he's playing better, but... I, I just don't know what you do with all of these contracts and how you're able to then turn them into plus players. Like, I feel like you should have made a smaller deal, even if it made you worse in the intermediate to at least consolidate some of those. Yeah. Um, obviously the Kemba deal wasn't getting moved. Like I, I hate to be this guy, but we saw it in Boston. We saw it coming. He ain't the he ain't a guy anymore. Uh, I think Mark Stein mentioned the Knicks were calling everybody and said everyone on the roster for us is available except RJ Barrett, which I understand that it's cool with me. Ain't nobody had any interest in Julius Randle. They said like just nobody. Um, so, like that's the thing. Like if John Collins is available, like how like you're not in the conversations for John Collins. But, like, the Hawks were begging to give him away and that you couldn't get in the conversation. Like, that's yeah. how bad, bad the situation is. Anyways, continue. 
So I just, I thought that was really interesting because I think it tells us a lot of what the league actually views New York and Julius Randle as like, you were a nice story last year. You had a good little run. Good for you. But we're, you're, we're not someone you're worried about. You know, yeah. like, if you have another decent season next year, like, cool. We still don't really think you're going anywhere. We still don't really think you have, like, foundational building blocks outside of Barrett. And that, you know, is what we talked about with this roster in the offseason is – you can bring in or bring back Nerlens Noel. You can do that with all these guys. It doesn't really matter, right. you know, especially with Thibodeau coaching them. Like, again, Thibodeau is a good coach. He just, there's just something about him. He just doesn't feel like a great NBA head coach. And this roster desperately needs to focus on, we got to figure out what we have in Barrett. Like, as an all-around player, we need to figure out what we got in uh, Cam Reddish. We need to find how to properly utilize Julius Randle and not just give him the ball in the mid post, you know, 45 times a game. We need to figure out, you know, what more offensive actions can we do with Mitchell Robinson or is he solely just a pick and roll big? We've got to get a point guard in here besides Derrick Rose. Like how did, like you couldn't use the Derrick Rose contract, like the way the uh, Cavs used the Rubio contract. Right. Like, like there's just so many mismanaged things, not only about the roster contractually, but you know, on the court development wise, like this roster is still so far away and the Knicks just don't realize it. I think that's the frustrating thing. Not that I want the Knicks to be good. They ain't suck for the rest of eternity for all I care. But uh, yeah, it's just like for a team that wants like a feel good story and like, I'm cool with every market getting a feel good story every now and again. Like they're just, they're not sustainable. And I think Tibbs is the epitome of that. Like it's mm. not sustainable, you know? Yeah. And you're already hearing the rumblings of like, oh, well, you know, is Tibbs our coach of the future? It's like, yeah. well, I don't know why you, like you hired him to be a developmental coach, question mark. Like that's not really what he that's does. Not, he, not idea. Uh, yeah. I just, I, the direction in New York is off has been confusing for the last two seasons, even though they had a good season last year. Um, So long-term future wise, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can move that stuff at the drafts, but I. For what? A young player? Yeah. Right. Like, are you trying to move up in the draft? Are you trying to do a draft day mega trade? Like, what do you, again, which I think other teams have better offers. Like if you're talking about Damian Lillard, like, I, I think there's better offers out there. I think there can be better offers out there. Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, so the last team here, the purple and gold, the Los Angeles Lakers, the <laughs> sub five hundred Western Conference ten seed, Ryan. <laughs> um. I'll I'll let you do whatever you need to do to try and defend Russ, but I don't think it's going to do anything. So, to defend Russ, <laughs> this is right. nope, nope. <laughs> this is his fault. The loss in Portland the other night was one of the most egregious losses uh, in the NBA this season, 
Anthony Davis, LeBron James playing against Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, Greg Brown. <laughs> and who's like who? not good. Like, <laughs> he wasn't good in te- at Texas last year as a freshman. Like, he's not good. And who else? Like, Dennis Smith Jr.? And they lost? Man. They, lost, they blew it. Like, they Man. choked. This... I don't want to be sound like Charles Barkley here, but this is an Anthony Davis problem. Yeah. And the front office kind of told Anthony Davis, LeBron James, you got to figure this out. We can't do anything to help you because they couldn't. What, what would Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played this year, THT in a first round pick do? Like, what does that realistically get you? It wasn't getting you in any sort of conversations for Jeremy Grant, right? Like, oh no, 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 no. Like, the best it could have done was like, could have gotten you like Reggie Bullock from the Mavs. That's the thing. That's what I I suggested on the last pod like, a Daniel Tice type move for THT. It's like, I don't think Los Angeles realizes, like, one, THT is not an NBA starter right now. I don't know if he's ever going to be an NBA starter. And you need some help at basically every position. Like, just get a guy who's, like, a low-end NBA starter. Yeah. Can help you for the next, like, two years. Can, like, hit a corner three. Yeah. All the things. I just don't understand, like, why on court Anthony Davis hasn't been playing better. Like, what's – like, why isn't he scoring 30-plus a night when the Lakers needed him? The other night against Portland, he scored like 17 on like 11 shots or something like that. Yep. Like, why aren't you taking 20 plus shots and why aren't you scoring 35 plus? Like, we see Jokic yeah, like, do it. We defending? see, yeah. We see Embiid do it. Like, if we see Giannis do it, that's the comp to AD. Like, where, where are you, Anthony Davis? This is your team. LeBron James, this is the biggest thing I don't hear anybody talking about it. And we've talked about it off air, man. And I'll bring it up here. LeBron James, several years ago, when he came to the Lakers and they, they acquired Anthony Davis, they said, he said specifically, this is Anthony Davis' team. This is not my team. Where's that talk now? Where are you holding Anthony Davis accountable? Because all I'm hearing is it's Russell Westbrook's fault. And I get it. Russ is not the player you thought you were getting. I don't know what you've been watching for the last five years. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Russ, it's Russ's fault. No, this on Anthony Davis. If we're saying this is his team two years ago when they, you win a championship, it's his team now when you're sub 500 and barely in the playoffs. I I am not having any of this Lakers, like Laker fandom slander on Russ because get your guy. This is Anthony Davis. You traded how many picks for this guy in every single asset you had on your roster. This is his team. And he has not been playing up to any sort of standard the last two seasons. And that's why you're going to be in the play in in the last two seasons. And that's why LeBron James probably won't win a championship again with this roster configuration. Take a bow. Um, You're right. This is not all Russ's fault. Russ has been bad, but this is not all his fault. Let's bring this back to a guy previously mentioned in this pod. Who would you rather have? For this season, Anthony Davis or Kristaps Porzingis? I mean, oh God. <laughs> I, I mean, Anthony Davis. <laughs> I, you even, you, like, it's Davis. It is. Yeah. 
just because you just assume Porzingis is going to still be hurt off and on for the rest of the year. And Davis does have a higher ceiling. But the fact that like there's a moment of like, do I really have to think about this? Tells you how big of a problem this is, right? Like they shouldn't be in the same conversation at this point in their careers. Like Porzingis is not as good, as dominant as Anthony Davis can be. But I mean, what, what does Anthony Davis like think about this situation? Like, let, let's just start there. Like, does he legitimately think like, this isn't my fault? Cause I, I really wonder if that's what's going through his brain, you know? You know, the big, that that's a great point. Like, is he pat like, what's the conversations in the locker room? Like, like, and why isn't anybody having a heart to heart with him? Like, man, you gotta be, you gotta be great every night for us to be, have a chance. Yeah. And maybe- because for example, with that Portland game, like, Yusuf Nurkic was like, I'm going to murder this dude. And Anthony Davis said, okay. <laughs> like, no, I want you to tell that guy to shove it where the sun don't shine, to go out there and be like, I'm going to dunk over you three times, like, and just demoralize you. And he's just like, Giannis will do it. Right. And Davis just won't. And there's, let's just be honest. You can't be the leader of the Los Angeles Lakers if that's not your mindset. I don't care who else is on the roster, but especially when LeBron James is also on the roster, like, and you're should be competing for championships. That's it. And that's the point, right? Like, that's the thing. I think the biggest thing and I've been thinking about this week is that the gap between Giannis and Anthony Davis has gotten so wide. Like if someone oh God, would yeah. say, Giannis or Anthony Davis like it's not even there's not even close yeah it's not close and it used to be close yeah probably like two and a half years ago yeah right Right. but Um, now I mean let's just be honest like Davis like as of today is closer to like Sabonis and Porzingis than he is to Giannis mm, right yes like he just is. And that's more of a compliment to Giannis than anything, probably considering like where he's taken his game to. But like you saw Giannis like doing things against base. I mean, put on any game you want. Like he has post moves. He has mid post moves. He has face up game. Like the three, like, again, who cares what the percentages are? Like it looks okay. He's he, so unafraid to take the yeah. shot now. Yeah, he gets to the rim at will. Defensively, he's, I mean, he's could be in a team's entire defense and you would have a top 10 defense. Like, he's ridiculous on both sides of the ball on every single possession. And Anthony Davis isn't. He's great when he wants to be. He's great when, like, the moment is, like, handed to him. But he's not just, like innately great it feels like right it doesn't feel like he's put in whatever like hours in the gym in the summer to like really refine some of his game it feels like he's had the same game for a little bit and i don't know i i mean like if for the lakers to make a deep run this year and to win a championship he has to go to bubble anthony davis like he has to be this incredible like 
30, 15, and like three guy. And I don't know if we haven't seen that in a long time from him. So I don't know. I mean, well, he's he doesn't do it in individual games, let alone matches right. of games now. Right. Remember, like after the bubble, like there was conversations of could Anthony Davis win the MVP? Like yeah. he's not even right. top ten in the MVP conversation. That's like, like he wouldn't have been dealing with injuries this year. He, I, I still don't know if he would have been an All Star. Right. Like to be honest. Like definitely, he's not all NBA. No, we're not. Of course, then in, in the even conversation for MVP, that, like that's how like he can put up numbers still to a decent degree. It's just like there's a difference between guys who put up numbers and guys who win games. Yes, and Anthony Davis is seeming to revert back to the New Orleans days of putting up numbers but the team wasn't winning. And we always just kind of assumed that was a New Orleans problem, but maybe that was an Anthony Davis problem. Maybe he doesn't know how to run a team. And there it is. There it is. Checkbox. Nailed it. I, I don't know. I, this Lakers team is something else. I think they're in a bad spot. They've cornered themselves into a bad spot for long-term and short-term. I, I don't, I don't know. Their chances at a championship, it feels like it's closing. You don't want to say that because you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but something's got to change there. And it's has Maybe little it's mile mark, Ryan. And it has little to do with uh what's around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Let me put it that way. Some, some of it. Some, some some. Not all. Not all. Well, this has been our trade mega podcast. Uh and Matt, do you have less heart heart palpitations after this trade deadline, or more? Uh, again, because of the Derek White deal, I'm just skipping throughout the day, you know? <laughs> doing cartwheels. Yeah, I, I hey, I can do a cartwheel. So I don't know if I can do cartwheels, but I can do a cartwheel. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for listening to episode 134. We will be back for episode 135. Yeah.